Blog Talk Radio. If I ever do anything right. Progressive Parenting Radio is a production of Progressive Parenting Network and GinaKirby.com. No material on this radio program should be considered medical advice. This is a listener-funded program. And now, your host, Gina Kirby. Being a parent is the hardest job you'll ever have. Progressive Parenting understands this and wants you to know that you are not alone. My name is Gina Kirby, and I am your humble host. I am not a parenting expert, but as a doula, childbirth educator, La Leche League International Breastfeeding Peer Counselor, and concerned parent of four children ages 12 years old through 19 months, I understand the difficulties involved with parenthood. So I'll be inviting doctors, nurses, family workers, authors, and experts from different fields to answer your parenting questions. Now, because this is a progressive talk show, we will broach topics and air opinions that you as a parent might not hear about through the mainstream media. The mission of progressive parenting is to inform, not preach to share, not advise, and to connect, not alienate. Progressive Parenting Radio is a listener-funded program. If you enjoy the information we bring to you, please consider donating at ProgressiveParentingRadio.com. Progressive Parenting Radio has been broadcasting for nine years, bringing quality information to listeners like you. We would like to thank our listeners and our sponsors for supporting our mission. Many thanks to our sponsor, DoulaBook.com. The best doula websites are here. DoulaBook wants you to know that they will be releasing DoulaBook 3.0 very soon, so keep an eye out for what's coming up by going to DoulaBook.com. That's DoulaBook, all one word, .com. Uh, they're also releasing a new doula listing service, uh, so go to DoulaBook's Facebook page to learn more about what's going on there. The number to call in during the program is 347 840 The number to call in during the program, again, is... So make sure that uh, if you have a question, please be sure to press 1 and it will alert our producer that you have something to say. And now I am so pleased and very honored to introduce today's guest. Dr. Rian Eisler is a cultural historian, system scientist, educator, attorney, speaker, and author whose work on cultural transformation has inspired scholars and social activists. Her research has impacted many fields, including history, literature, philosophy, art, economics, psychology, sociology, education, organizational development, political science, and healthcare. She's the author of many books, which we will be talking about today. And I, without any further hesitation, would love to introduce her to you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Eisler, for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you. 
Well, thank you. I wanted to um, ask you, I mean, gosh, what what an amazing life you've led. I'm wondering, how did your journey begin? How did you um, get into this life of of economics and psychology and sociology and healthcare? How did you end up where you are today? Well, I have, uh, I sometimes say that my life is like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle uh, coming (laughs) together because so many um, events really that at one point uh, may not have seemed related to others I came together to do it. I mean, it started really uh, when I was very, very small as a, as a very young child. Uh, my parents and I had to flee from Europe um, from the Nazis, uh, and we were really uh, the only members of our extended family, my parents and I, uh, who managed to escape, uh, and, and most of them were killed by the Nazis in the Holocaust. So very early, uh, of course, I had to ask myself this question, does there have to be so much cruelty, insensitivity, Mm -hmm. violence, or are there alternatives? And I really didn't know that that would be my life's work. Uh, But through many other things, uh, it just came together that way. Uh, First, I studied uh, sociology and anthropology, of course, to try to answer those questions didn't didn't really give me the answers. I also uh, went to the UCLA Law School, became an attorney, and became uh, really uh, very involved in uh, uh, women's and children's human rights work through that background. I also have a background in system science. So anyway, it all came together, and I did uh, end up in my last book, well, of course, my best-known book is The Chalice and the Blade, uh, Our History, Our Future, which is uh, now in 26 foreign languages, but I did end up uh, by, as you said, writing about economics in my book, The Real Wealth of Nations, because economics, uh, how we structure economics and what we consider valuable in our economic systems uh, really has to change. Yes, I I was watching a, a TEDx that you did um and talking about how our our the GMP what's in it and that there are a lot of things that we would consider negatives that they count as um positives and they don't count at all our uh women's quality of life and um I'd like I'd like to hear more about that. I'd like to share with our listeners about that. You had shared a story about um I believe you had said it was Switzerland or um I mean, I I think I I better let you tell the story about how, okay. how they, they in, um the quality of life and what that meant to them and for them. Well, I um I I'm glad you watched that TEDx program because um it really, uh, I start by pointing out, as you said, that the measure that our policymakers rely on the most, which is gross domestic or gross national product, actually uh, is so flawed that it includes negatives as productive. So, mm-hmm. for example, uh, selling and making cigarettes or fast foods that cause all kinds of diseases, right, as mm-hmm. well as the health costs and the funeral costs 
caused by all of that are on the plus side of GDP. I mean, which which is crazy, isn't it? But yes. uh, not only does it uh, have negatives, but it, it it fails to include, and this is really something that we're working to change, uh, the value of this most important human work, the work of caring for people starting in early childhood, right, parenting, uh, child care. Uh, if it's done in the home, uh, it is not even visible at all. And if it's in the market, because we so devalue that, really, as a society, we may talk about motherhood and apple pie, but mm-hmm. in reality, the proof of the <laughs> of it all is that child care workers in our wealthy nation earn less than dog walkers. And, I mean, I, yeah. I love dogs, but it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Well, that goes... <laughs> that is crazy. Um, and it's so true. And and these are people who are caring for our children and our future. And yeah. And so, but but we are the only we we at the Center for Partnership Studies have launched a, a our major program is the Caring Economy Campaign, and it's mm-hmm. designed to change our policies. I mean, look. We developed new measures, new metrics that are very different from GDP, measures that uh, really look and compare our nation, the United States, uh, both in terms of the uh, 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 human capacity development, which is what's the result, right? We know from neuroscience that early care, well, you know this very well, you know, early Mm -hmm. care is uh, foundational to whether or not we develop fully or even halfway or even one-third, right, or or very little. And, uh, but, but it is not considered in our policies. So we also look at how do we compare as a nation with other uh, so-called developed nations, uh, wealthier nations, uh, in our investment in family support, in uh, uh, high-quality child care availability. We as a nation invest less than half of the average of other uh, such nations. And mm. we're the only nation uh, in this group that does not have federally funded, government-funded paid parental leave. And so we're working to change that. And for those of our listeners who are interested, please go uh, to caringeconomy.org, www.caringeconomy.org. And we also have webinars uh, uh, that are just wonderful webinars um, that really uh, help us become advocates for what we so need. And uh, some of them actually are free webinars. We have one on uh, November the 12th at 11 a.m. Pacific time on the Caring Economy Campaign, and that one is free for one hour. So please do uh, do join us, and you can do so on the website. 
And uh, just a note, I made sure to um, take a note of that, and I put caringeconomy.org at the Progressive Parenting Facebook site. So if any of you um, were rushing around trying to find a pen, don't worry. You can just go to Progressive Parenting Radio, and you can find uh, a link there and uh, take advantage of this. This sounds wonderful. I know I'm going to. Great. Well, you know, it's just that we are really, none of our political candidates are even talking about this issue. No, no. (laughs) And we've got to change that because uh, the media won't talk about it uh, unless they do, right? It's sort of a a, a catch-22, isn't it? And so people really don't know this. And they don't know what's possible, and they don't know, for example, because you mentioned some nations, uh, uh, nations like Sweden, uh, Finland, Norway, who were pioneers, really, in paid parental leave for both mothers and fathers, by the way, uh, which is what we need. Uh, They have a much higher general standard of living. Uh, there aren't these huge gaps that we have in our wealthy nation uh, between those on top and those on bottom. So it isn't, uh, again, the the conversation about corporations is part of it, but that's the tip of the iceberg. The hidden part of the iceberg is that we don't make it possible for people to really... uh, both earn a living in the market mm-hmm. and at the same time a care for their families, for their children, for their elderly. Well, that, that has to change. Right, exactly. And it does. And that's that was the question I was going to ask you, is that in this country do you believe that we really value parenting? Well, do we? I mean, <laughs> if we don't even, if we're the only nation... Uh, that does not have uh, paid parental leave. Uh, Doesn't that speak very loudly about the hypocrisy of saying that we do? And uh, fortunately, of course, there is beginning to be a big conversation about this, but as I said, it hasn't reached the political discourse. Uh, It's sort of ghettoized, isn't it, as a, quote, women's issue. Well, um, and and, and the reason that it's so devalued, of course, is goes very deep because we also, uh, as a culture, uh, and this is, I mean, not just the United States, of course. I mean, other nations, you know, women are horribly subordinate. I mean, when you look at some of the Middle East, right, uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a it's a disaster, uh, and yes, a very and it goes along with a very low quality of life for most of the population, doesn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. So if we're going to change all this, and if we're going to really, I mean, it, you have to start looking at factors that aren't looked at. Uh, if you look at the disproportionate poverty, for example, of women, where the U.S. Census figures, I mean, most people don't know this, but according to the U.S. Census Bureau, women of all races in the United States, women over 65, are twice as likely to live in poverty as men of the same age. And one wow. of the main reasons for this is that most of these women are or were either full 
or part-time caregivers, either for no pay, right, in right. families and no no support uh, from the community, from the government, or uh, from uh, if they if they're in the market and there's a disproportionate number of women of color in the market who do this work, which is another reason for the terrible disproportionate poverty of communities of color in our nation. So we have to start looking at things that we're not used to looking at and changing them and working to change awareness and move then uh, to action, to different policies. Right, and and maybe stop calling them uh, women's issues and, and more focusing on the fact that these are all human rights. Absolutely. These are basic human issues. And, um, I mean, the good news is that more men are beginning to, well, you know, the old uh, stereotype of the real man, right, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, well, he wouldn't, above all, he's not going to be like a woman, right? <laughs> and yet you see so many men today uh, who are diapering babies, yeah. who are feeding babies, you know, doing the so-called women's work, redefining fathering to look yeah. more like what used to be just mothering, right? So right. there is change, and we have to work with enlightened men. Uh, and fortunately, you know, there are more of them who really want to do this. But again, uh, we've got to change the uh, awareness of the value of women and so-called women's work, whether it's performed by women or men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the value of it, indeed. And that's the thing that, that we're not doing, and that's what I, I really enjoyed, um, the Real Wealth of Nations um, because uh, it really put uh, economics like, on its head for me from what I learned about it in college. <laughs> to well, it, it, I, I think we need to stand it. I, I think what we're taught really is upside down, and yeah. that uh, the real wealth of nations, as you said, it kind of uh, stands it so that it's heads up. Mm-hmm. And, and and we have to start with the question, what do we really value? I mean, one certainly subsistence, certainly economics, but the but the but the premise you see of what I call domination economics uh, is scarcity. But the system itself creates artificial scarcity. I mean, think about it: the concentration of wealth in the hands of a few on top creates mm-hmm. scarcity. Uh, the uh, disproportionate investment in weaponry. I mean we need weapons. I am you know, I'm a Holocaust survivor. I know that we you know, we we we, we need to have a an adequate defense against societies that orient more to what I call a domination system, okay? Like the Nazis did, like some of the nations in our world do today, many of them. But at the same time it's crazy, you know uh, we have a completely crazy system of values. Uh, I mean, in terms of my the title of my book, The Chalice and the Blade, we invest so much more in the blade, the power to take yeah. life, than in the chalice, the power to give and nurture and uh, support and uh, really make life meaningful, which is the chalice, isn't it? 
Yes, absolutely. And that would lead to the, the second question, of, which I guess we've already answered, but do we really value birthing in our culture? Well, you know, I have to laugh when I hear that because um, obviously we don't. Um, yes. And obviously it's not valued uh, in all co- in in no cultures that orient to the domination side, is it valued? I mean, it's a matter of degree, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I should say that my my work identifies based on a cross-cultural, multidisciplinary study, two underlying human possibilities. What I call the partnership model and the domination model, but. The point of it is, when I was doing research for one of my books, um, which is really one of my favorites, Sacred Pleasure is the name of the book, and the subtitle is Sex, Myth, and the Politics of the Body. And I was just shocked uh, when I realized um, that in earlier societies that oriented more to the partnership side of the continuum, like a a very large... um, um, uh, uh, society uh, that uh, in Europe, well, actually in Turkey, uh, in Anatolia called Çatalhöyük, uh, about six thousand years ago, uh, they they found uh, sculptures, artworks of, uh, and and the art was part of the sacred because you know until very recent times most art dealt with the sacred, right? Uh, it, it, it was of a woman giving birth. It was part mm. of the sacred imagery. There's this uh, so-called, uh, you know, this woman sitting on a throne, possibly a goddess figure, uh, and she's honored for giving birth. But think of all the images we've grown up with mm. of, uh, you know, inflicting pain, suffering pain, uh, you know, whether it's in the Mahabharata in India of all of these deities fighting and killing each other, whether it's all of the, you know, so-called martyrs and saints, right? You know, mm-hmm. suffering. Uh, taking <laughs> life is really what's, or or the heroic, you know, warrior, so to speak, right? Yes. Um, you know, slaying the dragon, et cetera. Uh, so again, we're back to the chalice and the blade, aren't we? And yes. So we, I mean, if you, Think about it for a moment. It wasn't until about, oh, two decades ago that a, the image of a pregnant woman could be seen on the media or in, in classrooms. I mean, women yeah. were not... This was considered obscene. Yeah. Well, I think it's obscene to show killings all the time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah the, the dominant model is that of, of warfare being celebrated at every turn, and then you have a pregnant Lucille Ball being hidden by uh, furniture <laughs> in the program because it was obscene to be with child, even though she was a married woman. And even, like you just said, up until two decades ago, you didn't see it. I remember when I saw uh, Demi Moore on the cover of Vanity Fair, pregnant and um, just covered in paint, and what a um, what an uproar that caused. And oh, I thought, yeah, wow. that, I remember being very affected by that because I thought, what's the big deal? I, I couldn't understand why everyone was so mortified by her pregnant body. Uh, when well, but you see, this is it. I mean, we um, don't value birthing. We don't value, and it's, it, it, 
it's women, it's life-giving, it's birthing. At the same time, and I really want to be clear here, uh, we really, women have to have reproductive freedom because one of the uh, major uh, cornerstones of a domination system is uh, rigid male dominance, including the denial to women of access to family planning, access to abortion. I mean, uh, and and it continues uh, in in the world today. And uh, I'm just hoping that this new pope will eventually, uh, although, I mean, it's, it's doubtful that he will, with all of his wonderful, uh, you know, uh, uh, more humanity, somehow it seems to stop. Uh, I mean, if you talk about the environment today, I mean, let's just broaden the picture here. Mm-hmm. Our real problem is population. I mean, 7 billion people on this finite planet, but mm-hmm. it would, and we know that the only way that we can really uh, have a higher quality of life for everybody uh, depends on women being given reproductive freedom, being given education, being given other life choices, and being breeders of sons for men, which is still what they're valued for in so many world regions today, you know, Africa, the Middle East, Latin America. That that norm has to change. And, and it has changed... I mean, I remember uh, when I was a kid, I would hear people saying, hope next time it's a boy when a girl was was born. Well, nobody would say that anymore today, would they? No, (laughs) not today. So we can change the norms. Right. Well, that's that's the thing, too. You were talking about women having rights, um, uh, reproductive rights, um, the rights to just their bodies in general. Women uh, do not lose their basic human rights once they become pregnant. And yet, across the globe, women's human rights are compromised and violated uh, around the time of childbirth. Uh, Where, yes, we have overpopulation, but if you do become pregnant, it shouldn't mean that you lose your basic right. Um, There are examinations, interventions, there's procedures that that pose risks to moms and babies, and their babies are routinely perform um, have, have routines performed on them without informed consent or coerced compliance and threats and through fear and um I think that's why it's a really good idea like you said to stop not not making them uh women's rights but um making it a human rights issue um there's a, a wonderful group called human rights and childbirth dot org who are working really hard uh at um turning the spotlight on to what happens. Uh, to women and their children and are saying very loudly that it makes a big difference. Uh, Caring about the status of women is important. And um, that's what I love about your book and and also going back to the Real Wealth of Nations in that way. Well, I'm so glad you have this group. You may be interested in some of, because I have been writing about this for a long time, and my latest uh, work on uh it's called protecting the majority of humanity uh and it's about uh, using international law like the Rome statute uh section on crimes against humanity to protect to protect women's rights uh and children's rights across the globe by holding uh government officials at all levels 
accountable. And you can find that article. It's called uh, Protecting the Majority of Humanity. It's in the Cambridge University Press book at on my website, which is rianeisler.com. No period, just Rianne with two E's in the middle, Rianne, R-I-A-N-E, E-I-S-L-E-R dot com. But, you know, I'm so glad you have this group, and I think perhaps this work can be of use to you because we know that, um, well, I, 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 one of the rights that is being violated, of course, is access to family planning. Yeah. Just as the fact that, for example, child brides, you know, across the globe are a horrific risk for, 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 for pregnancy. And and yet it continues, it's on the, on the, and, and people still justify it as moral, right? Yeah. Controlling women is considered normal and moral, and mm-hmm. that has to change. So you're you're so right, so much. But the good thing is we're having these conversations, and and I really uh, want to congratulate you for being, uh, you know, really so uh, much of a leader in the conversation. Oh my goodness! I don't. I'm. I'm almost. I'd like to pretend you didn't say that because I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, you just uh, say thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, that's one thing too. We women, um, you know, they've done studies, and it's really interesting in terms of how women learn to devalue themselves. If you ask a man in these studies why he succeeded. He'll say, well, you know, I did this and this, and I did that and that. And <laughs> if you ask a woman, she say, well, I was lucky, and I, yeah. So, so yeah, so so, so, so so I want to honor you. Thank and, you so and, much. And, and have you honor yourself. Well, I, I will, and thank you very much. And like I said at the very beginning of the program, I'm very honored to have you on the show. Please talk to my listeners more about a partnership model of society. You were saying earlier about how we have these men now who, like an example, my husband right now is caring for the children so that I can do the radio program without screaming and hollering and banging on the door. <laughs> and he's, he's a diaper changer. He's a stay-at-home father. He works from home uh, while I travel the world uh, teaching about childbirth. And um, he's a nurturer. And I want for you to share, and there's more and more men like him everywhere. I, I know I've met them. Um, there's a... Uh, a new a new way to, to look at things, and I want you to talk about your um, your partnership model of society and what that is. You you just touched on it, but I, I would love for a little more detail for my listeners. Well, we are so used to thinking of societies, aren't we, in terms of religious or secular, or Eastern or Western, Northern or Southern, um, capitalist or socialist, uh, right or left. And these are interesting categories, but the only thing about it is that they don't tell us anything, do they, about how a culture structures these fundamental human relations between the female and male half of humanity and between them and their daughters and sons. I mean, think about it. And if you don't really understand uh, how those relations and roles are socially constructed and and how they can vary, right? You know, we just talked about it, how they're beginning to change a little bit in a partnership direction. Then you miss the point of what I said about neuroscience, that nothing less than how our brains develop is very, very directly shaped 
uh, by what kinds of relations children experience or observe early on, right? Yes. So the partnership model and the domination model are, are integrated. They take this into account and they transcend the conventional categories. So they show connections that are otherwise invisible. For example, the connection between whether a uh, uh, a society uh, condones um, <coughs> violence in families and whether they are or are not uh, uh, very warlike and aggressive. <coughs> and, of course, you see that, don't you? I mean... If you look at some of the, uh, well, look at ISIS, for example, okay? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, a complete subordination of women. They may have to make themselves invisible even. So, so you know, if somebody's invisible, you, they have no human rights. They're not human. Uh, children, I mean, they're, they're socialized through violence. I mean, that's really, so, so that's what you get. You get very violent and very, you know, you get terror. You you get yes. post-traumatic stress, don't you, as the yes. norm. So that's the domination system at, at its at its extreme. But we still carry elements of that. Um, remember, I said that there were earlier societies, and you really, uh, I mean, we need to look at our history. I I invite our 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 listeners to really uh, go to uh, my website, rianeisler.com, and you'll see a whole uh, sequence of books on education, uh, books on, well, as I said, sacred pleasure and sexuality and spirituality, The Chalice and the Blade, The Real Wealth of Nations. My latest book, actually, I wrote with a former Ph.D. student of mine who now teaches um, nursing at the University of Minnesota, and it's about interprofessional, it's called transforming interprofessional teams. You know, that's the big trend in healthcare, right? Yeah. Um, So I really recommend, it just won two awards, one national and one international one. But but I suggest you go to my website, rianeisler.com, and um, really use that information, Use that information uh, because what it's all about uh, is shifting from entrenched traditions of domination in all of our institutions, from the family, religion, education, to politics and economics, to uh, more partnership-oriented uh, uh, societies. And yes, one of the cornerstones, cornerstones is gender relations and as well as uh, childhood experiences. That's another cornerstone. So it's a whole different, more integrated, and more realistic way of looking at how we can really change uh, our lives and those of our children and future generations for the better. Oh, absolutely. Oh. Um, can can you touch on, I, I wish we could talk for hours and hours, <laughs> the... Um, the difference you said that in in an interview, I remember hearing you say that the people think that there's matriarchy and there's patriarchy, and that the, the or that the opposite of patriarchy is matriarchy, but that that's not necessarily true. Well, it isn't true at all, uh, because if you look at it semantically, whether it's controlled by fathers or controlled by mothers, 
isn't that two sides of a domination coin? Yeah. Um, and and we're trapped by our language, aren't we, into mm-hmm. thinking there I- there are only two alternatives: you either dominate or you're dominated. And the reality, as we're beginning to see, as you just described in your family, uh, there is a partnership alternative. Where, and it does start with the socialization of both women and men. Uh, I mean, you know, they're two halves of humanity. So we're, when we're talking about female and male socialization, aren't we talking about socialization for being human, right? And in the old yes. model... Um, both women and men are in straitjackets, denied of their full humanity. Men in the domination system are denied of access to some of the qualities that make us fully human. Um, Empathy, sensitivity, caring, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You you know, one of the 9-11 terrorists, I uh, had left a will saying that his mother should not be permitted at his funeral lest she pollute it with her, quote, femininity. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how deep in these rigid domination cultures that contempt for the so-called soft or feminine goes, okay? Uh, and women, of course, are denied of our full humanity uh, because we're not supposed to be uh, you know, if a, if a man is assertive, that's great. If a woman is assertive, she's a bitch, right? Right. Which is crazy. So women are beginning to enter leadership roles. Men are beginning to enter caregiving roles. That's the movement towards partnership at its most basic. And so is the movement um, toward uh, really nonviolent uh, and uh, connected parenting. You know, that's basic, and that's something that we're also very engaged in at the Center for Partnership Studies. I mean, you know, remember we were talking about some of the nations uh, where, well, I I don't think I ever finished that conversation, so let me get back to it. (laughs) (laughs) I was talking about nations like Sweden, Finland, and Norway. Uh, They not only have more caring policies, uh, you know, paid parental leave, very generous paid parental leave and and all of that, but they also have been in the forefront of two vital areas. One, they were the first nation who passed laws saying that uh, discipline based on force of children is against the law. Think about Mm -hmm. that. I mean, wow. And also they've been trying to have a very strong men's movement to disentangle so-called masculinity from its association in domination systems. You know, real men, they're violent, they love to fight, they're, you know, they're they're hard, they're not soft. And, and, And so they're in the forefront of this. It all goes together. I mean, the fact that they have women be... Women are 40 to 50% of their national legislatures. We're, we're way behind. And the fact that they have more caring policies uh, goes together because as the status of women rises, men are able to also embrace more stereotypically feminine traits and activities. I mean, men couldn't be diapering and feeding babies if, the stat- if it hadn't been for the feminist movement, frankly. 
Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, because it was only as the status of women began to rise that men no longer felt so devalued, so threatened in their identity as men, right? Yes. So, if, ah. I mean, my work is about connecting the dots in different ways, and that's what we all have to do. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping that we can get get to. I want it all to go faster, don't we all? Uh, for our society to to find these changes, um, societies adhering closely to that that domination system, um, like you say on on your website, um, they have uh, control in both the family and the the state or tribe. And then you say the subordination of the female half of humanity to the male half. And with this, the devaluation of caring, nonviolence, and other stereotypically soft values in women and men, a high degree of institutionalized or built-in fear, coercion, and violence. And that's what we see in our work. And when I say we, I mean um, uh, childbirth advocates, who we see a lot of coercion, fear, um, and violence. Um, and for a lot of listeners, it's hard to believe, but there's a, uh, such thing as obstetric violence uh, that happens to women. And um, women can come out of childbirth with postpartum uh, with PTSD from uh, the disrespect, abuse, uh, again, obstetric violence. And um, there's this whole idea that that the goal is just, you know, healthy mother, healthy baby. As long as you're both alive after the baby's born, that's all that matters. And I believe that comes from um, that, that adhering to that domination system. And I can't wait till um we you know do the work that we have to do so that our society can adhere more closely to the partnership system where we have more uh democratic organization in in the family and in our in our tribes and that things are softer uh, more stereotypically feminine and we have a low degree of institutionalized or fear-based coercion that's that's the dream well and that's the goal that's the goal and you know if we don't have we wouldn't build a house, wouldn't we, would we, without building foundations for it. And these relations are foundational. How do we value? Do we equally value both halves of humanity or not? I mean, that's basic, isn't it? Because if children grow up with that notion that one half of our species is inferior and the other half is superior, one half is to be dominated, the other half is to dominate, one half is to be served, and the other half is to uh, serve, they have a map, don't they, in their minds, deeply entrenched, to equate any difference, uh, whether it's based on race or religion or ethnicity, uh, on the same principles, don't they? So we've got to start thinking differently. This is a time, thank goodness, uh, because of the dislocation uh, of, of first the Industrial Revolution and then now the, the move into the post-Industrial Revolution, where we have an opening because things aren't working. You know, the old stuff just isn't working. But we have to be very careful that the system doesn't reconstruct itself along the old principles. And that's up to us, isn't it? Yeah. How about it? all of these um, things that we've come to learn in our culture are so incredibly ingrained. I mean, look at 
um, just the example of a few minutes ago when you gave me a compliment and I had a really hard time accepting it. Um, <laughs> that's and that's some deep-rooted stuff, and here I am, this free-thinking, quote-unquote, feminist woman <laughs> who can't take a compliment. So that's some deep-rooted, you know, patriarchal ideals. Um, absolutely. I mean, listen, I, I didn't say it was going to be... But actually, it is easy in a way because once you become aware of it, mm-hmm. that 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 you carry that inner voice, right? Mm-hmm. Then, when you hear it, you can say, "Wait a minute! Hey, I I don't have to listen to you." Yes, that voice is not mine. <laughs> yeah, you know, I wrote. Uh, I mean, I do want to tell you about a book that I wrote that's very practical, very hands-on, and it's called "The Power of Partnership." And it applies all of these principles to seven relationships, how we relate to ourselves, our intimate uh, family and other relations, work and community relations. But then it also relates it to how we relate nationally, internationally, to nature and what kind of spirituality uh, we have internalized, you know, Mm -hmm. So yes. I really recommend the power of partnership. A lot of people are using it in workshops, and it occurs to me that your wonderful group uh, might want to uh, do some workshops based on it. That sounds amazing. I will be sure to let them know all about this. <laughs> I hope they're listening. Uh, absolutely. Wow. I, I just want to go on and on um, about all of these different topics with you. Um do I, I love your idea uh, from the very beginning that you had started asking yourself this question, like, do we really have to live this way um, from a very young age? And I love that the answer is no. Well, and that is really something we have to address because so many of the myths, I mean, you were talking about deeply ingrained, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the story of original sin, which is a really bizarre story, um, St. Augustine <laughs> decided that every child is born tainted by, uh, by by what he considered Adam and Eve's original sin just by the act of being born. I mean, right there, you know, there's no escape, right? <laughs> but but it's it's perpetuated today by popular stories about selfish genes, you know, that push us, right, to be completely ruthless, which is absolute nonsense because what we know about uh, biological evolution is that there's a movement towards greater consciousness, towards greater empathy, towards greater caring. I mean, the mammals don't survive, right, without caring. Mm-hmm. So, but see, what we're really talking about is um, putting reality from its upside down to right side up. And it's a fascinating process that actually uh, entails uh, what I write about in The Chalice and the Blade and in Sacred Pleasure particularly, re-missing, really looking at our old mythologies and uh, saying, wait a minute, those came out of domination-oriented, very domination-oriented systems, okay? Yeah. And they maintain them, don't they? So we have to know there is an alternative, not perfect. I mean, for example, I really want to say something very, very, very important. There are hierarchies 
in partnership systems. You know, we need parents, right? We need uh, teachers. We need managers. We need leaders. But there's a difference. And, and again, we need to know a new vocabulary. And I, I've called one hierarchies of domination. Okay, well, we know those, you know. Uh, you better obey or else, you know, you lose your job, you lose your life, you get beaten or whatever, right? Uh, but there's also the alternative of, of hierarchies of actualization, where power is power with and power to. I mean, that's the norm, you know, the ideal norm, rather than power over. And here, accountability, respect, benefits don't just flow from the bottom up, but both ways. So it's uh-huh. a, it. Well, you know, we we talk today about authoritative rather than authoritarian child rearing, right? Mm-hmm. That's the hierarchy of actualization. We talk about the manager no longer being the cop, the controller, but somebody who inspires, who elicits from others their highest potentials. That's a hierarchy of actualization. But putting it into practice. I mean, we're just learning, aren't we? We're just beginning, but we have to understand that there is an alternative. That's the first step. Well, I think that's reassuring, for sure. (laughs) And uh, you don't have to see the entire staircase, right? You just take the first step. That's that's what we have to do. Well, that's why the power of... Oh, I was going to say, that's why I started in the power of partnership with how we relate to ourselves. Ah, because that's really the first step, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, well, we have to start there, and then we can move on, and then we can change the world. <laughs> well, um, and, and, and change is a constant. The only issue is whether it's going to be transformative or not, mm. or whether mm-hmm. the domination system rebuilds itself you know, be it through so-called religious fundamentalism, which is really domination fundamentalism, when you come right down to it. Because religion can have, well, at the core of all the world's religions are partnership teachings, right? Caring, empathy. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But I really want to emphasize we're not talking about an ideal society. We're talking about moving to the partnership side of the continuum. And we're beginning to do that. So it's up to us to uh, enlist more people in that uh, exciting movement. Mm. I have one more question for you, and uh, it really wasn't, I did not write this question down. This is from a a friend of mine said, you should ask this question. (laughs) How does your current work on economics relate to your previous research into the history of the divine feminine? Well, it's really interesting because Archbishop Desmond Tutu wrote about the real wealth of nations, uh, that this is a way of structuring economics that meets both our material and our spiritual needs. And it it does directly relate to, to my work because, of course, the divine feminine, um, the whole notion that women can be part of the priesthood. You know, if men were denied entry into the priesthood, they would be denied uh, moral authority, wouldn't they? Including the moral authority to say this is right and this is wrong, including what's done to them, right? Women Mm -hmm. have been denied this. So 
I'm very careful in my work. I'm not an essentialist. I don't think that women are better than men. I don't think that we have these innate differences. Uh, yes, maybe in evolution, because women give and nurture life, uh, we have more of a capacity for learning uh, nurturance, but some women don't, by the way, and some men mm-hmm. do, and a lot of men do. All men can learn to be nurturing. Uh, I mean, so so it... it but it's, it's a whole redefinition of spirituality, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, in, a, in, in, in an economics, uh, in a caring economy, caring, which is fundamental to the divine feminine, isn't it, is honored. And that makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's completely related, even though in the real wealth of nations, because it's for a different audience, I don't go into that. But thank you, friend, for asking. I just dropped off for a second there. Hello? I'm here. I I said thank you, friend, for asking. Oh. (laughs) I will, indeed. Um, I want to thank you so much for being on the program today and for all the work that you've done and that you are continuing to do. And um, I just thank you um, deeply. It it means so much to me and and has uh, made a big impact on me. Thank you so much for your time. Well, it was my pleasure, Gina, and keep up your wonderful work uh, because your work is about shifting from domination to partnership, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Well, have a wonderful rest of the day. Oh, and, and I hope um, to speak again soon. I would love that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Then to our listeners, I can't tell you, wow, what a treat that was. I'm sorry. I'm trying really hard, tried the whole time not to fangirl super hard. Thank you, everybody, uh, for listening. I'd like to thank our sponsor again, um, our doulabook.com, the best doula website, Uh you want the best doula website, then start here. Doula Book wants you to know that they'll be releasing Doula Book 3.0 very soon. Keep an eye out for what's going on by going to doulabook.com. And you, they've also just released a doula listing service. So go to Doula Book Facebook page to learn more. And that's Doula Book, all one word, on Facebook and doulabook.com. Uh, we may not have reached our fundraising goal, but no worries. We still have a donate button. Google Help Progressive Parenting Go Pro. Or you can just go to Progressive Parenting radio.com and hit the donate button Uh, you can come see me i'll be in portland oregon on november the 14th and 15th we're doing a flock yeah there it's a mini birth conference open to midwives doulas hopeful doulas birth nerds and parents and um our next program you have to uh, be sure to join us for our next show which is monday november 9th at six o'clock eastern standard time i will be joined by Sarah Buckley, Dr. Sarah Buckley will be in our program. And then on Wednesday, November 11th, Lou Hanessian will be joining me live at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. I do hope you'll join us. And until next time, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. If I do anything right I want to be so good This little light If I ever wake in the night 
I wanna know 